It's a privilege at any time to be invited to preach the Word of God. But I genuinely mean this, and Ken knows I mean it. I hold a real soft spot for CET. Uh, I've seen Ken when God moved him. And I tell you what I've seen in Ken was a man who waited upon the Lord. And that's the most important thing in life. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And maybe tonight, just for someone before we get into the word, wait on the Lord. Because I'll tell you one thing about the Lord. He always turns up. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And he'll never let you down. If you have a Bible, we're turning to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 4. Ken, I break Ken's heart because every time I come to preach, he's always told him, if you got a title, and I'd actually give him a title. I don't know if you realize, Ken, you just printed it wrong, and you've done me a favor because I didn't want to preach that message. And uh, it was meant to be the midnight cry, and they printed the mighty cry. And believe it or not, this is the mighty cry we're going to preach on tonight. And uh, I only realized that it had been printed uh, when I was checking earlier on to see what time the meeting was at. So I says, well, the Lord's in control, so we'll trust the Lord that he's in control tonight. So we're just going to lift from verse 6 and keep the Bible open. We'll be referring to Judges chapter 4. And she, that is Deborah, sent and called Barak, the son of Binoan, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go. Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, saying, Go. Father, we trust and we believe that every thought, Lord, will be in your control tonight. We ask your Lord to take complete control. Lord, hide us behind the cross. Anoint every word. Open the hearts to hear. And Lord, may people receive your word in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Verse 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. I think that's terrible. When you read that God's people got into such a state that the Lord sold them to the enemies of God. I thank God he didn't give them. You see, if you'd give them up, there's a difference when you give something up. You, you surrender, you're done with it. But when you sell something, you can always buy it back. And thank God there's always a way back. Isn't it lovely that Jesus always gives you a way back? Who's messed up lately? I'll hold up both hands because I can tell you, anybody knows me knows there's nobody can mess up like Tom. But do you know what? I have a wonderful Savior. The hymn writer sings, a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. And I thank the Lord that he always gives you a way back. If it wasn't for the cross, we would have no way back tonight. And you know, the Lord bought us back. He redeemed us. See, when you're redeemed, you're bought back. You see, this world gets a hold of you. 
You know, you were saying, Ken, about the young people going out of church. You are going to laugh at this. I, I hated church as a child. I mean hated church. On a Sunday morning, as I was an early riser as a child, and on a Sunday morning, I think I've told you this before, I used to lie in my bed, and I wouldn't even have moved in a hope that everybody would sleep in, and I wouldn't be the one to wake them up. And as soon as I'd hear someone getting up, my heart would sink because I knew I had to go to church. And I honestly, truly mean, and this sounds terrible, what I'm saying, I hate a church with all my heart. Grew up in church, didn't want to be there. And I remember one night a preacher turned around and says, there's no joy in the world. And I can remember saying, well, I'll tell you what, boy, you want to be where I was last night for I had a ball. And I says, my mum, I'm never going back. And I had made up my mind that was me done with church. But you see, here's the thing. I remember I was about nine years of age and I was in the back of my mum. She had a mini metro. And I can remember to this day where we were. And we're driving along, if any of you know, a place northway in Portadown and Clowna High School. And I was sitting in the back of the car. And my mum turns around and says, Thomas, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always wanted to be a lorry driver. And I went to say a lorry driver and I says, I want to be a preacher. And I remember sitting in the back of the car going, where did that come from? And this is why I'm saying it. Don't give up on the youth. Don't give up on the young. Don't allow the world to rob you of your future. Don't allow the world to take them. Because... Here's the problem with the church today. We have entered into a battle with the world where we're trying to compete with the world. We're not told to compete with the world. We're told to preach the glorious gospel. We're not told to bring in worldly methods or worldly means. And that's what's happening to the church. We're bringing in the things of the world. Don't do that. Bring in the spirit of the God. Because where the spirit of God is, there's life and there's hope. And why I'm saying all of this I'm saying it because here's a message where God couldn't even find a man to do the job. Here's a portion of scripture where God couldn't even find one man to do the job. Actually, if you read the portion before, the man before that was a man called Ehud. And Ehud was a man. His own family wouldn't even have wanted him. He would have been the last man in school that anybody would have chose in any of the sports. He would have been a man that nobody would have even invited to their house. He would have grew up as a child unwanted by everybody, all because of one thing. Does anybody even know what his disability was? It's the strangest thing you'll ever hear in your life. He was left-handed. And because he was left-handed, nobody wanted him. It was known as a disability. Matter of fact, God used that disability to win the nation of Israel over their competitor, over King Eglon. Do you know how he done it? Because he was left-handed, whenever he went into King Eglon, the guards searched him as a right-handed man. So anybody's right-handed has their sword in their left. And when he was going into King Eglon, they searched him as a right-handed man. They never searched as a left-handed man. And when he went into King Eglon, he says, I have a wee message from the Lord. 
an Eglin goes, what is that? <laughs> a knife through the heart. Now, I'm not telling anybody to do that, so <laughs> all disclaimers goes out tonight. I'm not telling you to run around sticking swords on people saying this is from the Lord. But what I'm saying, I need to be careful, Ken. This is your fault. You put me up here. <laughs> but here's what I'm saying to you. Don't allow people's insinuations and thoughts to hold you back. Allow the Lord to use everything in your life. I mean everything. Your faults. Allow the Lord to use your faults. I tell you, one of my biggest faults was drugs. I have a wife, and she'll tell you this. We were only talking about it two days ago. You could be standing talking to me and I could have known you all my life and I won't even know your name. And she has to stand there and she knows how to do it now so that I don't embarrass the person and they don't embarrass me. But I'll tell you one thing. I've sat in front of drug addicts and I've cried with them. Because I know their pain. I know their pain. And they've never been able to say, Tom, you don't know what you're talking about. Do I regret my failures? Of course I regret them. But I'll use them for the glory of God. You see, Satan meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And that's what the Lord said through Joseph whenever he stood before his father Jacob. Years of separation. Years of pain. Years of misery, years of hurt. Joseph had the scars to show for all the, the things that had happened to him. And his brothers thought sure that Joseph would recompense on them the penalty of death because of what they'd done to him. And here's what Joseph said. He says, brothers, Satan meant it for evil, but God meant it for good unto the saving of many people. And listen, I don't know what your mistakes and I don't know what your mess-ups are, but wouldn't it be lovely if you could bring revival to this area of the vineyard through your mess-up? You see, allow the Lord to turn it round. And even Ehud, who came before Deborah, unwanted, no good. And along comes a woman called Deborah when God... Deborah's actually known as a prophetess. Isn't it lovely that the Lord was in touch with somebody when everybody else had left the Lord. Isn't it lovely to know that God still has people who's praying for you and your loved ones? Isn't it lovely to know that God has men and women with a heart to seek the Lord? And I believe tonight, as you're here, some of you are maybe struggling in areas of your life. Some of you are maybe struggling in your private lives, your families, your work. I don't know what your situation is. But here's what I will say to you. See, as a church... Pray for one another. Lift one another up. You see, they say a family that prays together stays together. Keep praying for one another. Never be afraid to tap someone on the shoulder. Even if you haven't prayed for them and said, do you know what, I'm going to pray for you tonight. There's something lovely in knowing that someone's praying for you. I get people all the time and they're in touch and they'll say, I'm praying for you. And I cannot tell you what that means to to know that somebody's praying for you. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. And here's why I'm saying of this. 
I've said all that as an introduction. The Lord sold his people into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan. Now here's the problem with that. The Lord gives the people of Israel the possession of the land of Canaan. And when he gives them it as a possession, he gives them a few commands. And one of the commands was to clear the land. I've given it to you. You're not to share with no one. And you've to clear all the inhabitants out and you've to clear the Canaanites out. The Lord told them to clear them out. And they didn't do it. Christian, if the Lord's told you to do something, don't go and talk to anybody about it. Don't go and ask somebody's opinion because here's the problem with that. The Lord didn't tell them, he told you. Don't be sharing the things of God with anyone, even your greatest confidant. And if the Lord has told you to do something, do it. And do it with all your heart. They didn't do it and it came back to bite them. And believe it or not, Israel were the stronger nation. But something happened over a period of 20 years where the Canaanites, they almost built an alliance within the land and they built 900 steel chariots. Christian, we sins grow big. We sins grow big. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. You're never in control of it. It's in control of you. And they allowed this man, Sisera, to build 900 steel chariots. And with these chariots, he took control of the whole nation. And Israel become obedient to these heathens for 20 years. And in the 20 years, there's no record of them crying unto God. Do you know, in our nation that was once a Christian nation, and I say that once Christian nation, we're not a Christian nation anymore. We're out of the will of God and we're entering into the judgment of God. And God's going to judge us. I believe God's judging us right now because of our leaders. Was it Calvin says, when God wants to judge a nation, he gives you weak leaders? And we have the weakest leaders. I found it quite ironic at the World Economic Forum there in Davos. Old Kerry and Al Gore turned up and says, we're going to save the world. With the greatest respect, you can't save yourself. There's only one who can save the world. And he's not going to save this world. He's coming back to try this world with fire. And he's going to burn it all up. See, everything's going to be tested with fire. They're going on about climate change. They haven't seen climate change until our Lord and Savior returns. And these men are telling you they're going to save the world. I found it even more ironic that Tony Blair was there. And he says he's going to help save the world, but he's going to bring in digital, uh, <laughs> digital identity. That's for another day. I'll leave that to you with Daniel's vision. <laughs> See when Ken brings that in. Just he said, Tom, give you that. <laughs> and these men are promising 
They're going to do this, they're going to do that. They're going to do nothing because they're of the Antichrist nature. They're Christ deniers. And our nation has turned its back on God. And Isn't it ironic during COVID they were throwing out money, they were doing everything, there was no call to prayer. Winston Churchill with all his faults, and by the way, he had his faults. Winston Churchill with all his faults called the nation to prayer. And the confused Hitler, to the point that Hitler thought he was being set up, but it was God that twisted him and took it from him. And Christian, we need to start to seek the Lord again. We need to call the nation back to where they belong. We're the children of God here tonight. We're the child of a king. My father is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He has it all under control. And you see, tonight, the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, and reigned in Hazar, the captain of whose host was Caesarea, which dwelt in the horse of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And here's why they cried. Listen, for he had 900 chariots. Christian, if you're not looking around you today and if you're not grieved by what's going on, there's something wrong with you. If this world isn't grieving your heart, if you're not looking at the news, and I'm not encouraging you to watch that news, but if you don't see the things that's unfolding and the depravity of man, I'm not even talking about Russia. I'm talking about the laws that are being passed in our land. I'm talking about where good is now evil and evil is now good. I'm talking about where our children in the schools, their wee minds are being destroyed. And I always worry, I've always said this to folk, one of the things that I think is going to usher in the Lord's return, but the Lord's judgment more than his return, is if you read Lot's account when the angels were in Lot's house, it says, from the oldest to the youngest in the city stood without the house. Every one of them, their minds have been perverted. And I believe when they get to the children, I believe the Lord says, enough's enough. And it's up to us as Christians to protect the children. But it's up to us as Christians to protect the laws. And it's up to us as Christians to stand against these things and stand up and be heard. Don't be afraid to stand up for the Lord. There's a cancel culture out there at the moment. And anybody stirs to stand up, they're out to destroy you. They're out to wipe you out. You're not allowed to have an opinion outside of the liberal left. You have any other opinion, they'll name call you, they'll go through your history, they'll look for everything just to cancel you. But here's the greatest counsel of all. The Lord counseled all my sins at Calvary. And that's the greatest counsel cultural you can ever have. You see, whom the Son sets free, they're free indeed. You're free to stand up for Christ. So what if they hate you? If God be for us, then who can be against us? Come on, child of God. If God be for you, who can be against you? So what if they don't like you? Ken tells me all the time, nobody likes him. And I always say, Ken, it's all right, I'm here for you. Can I say it over? Nobody likes you. No, no, this is my... 
You, you can say that next week, all right? You, you sit there. You see, child of God, so what what they think about you? So what what they say about you? So what? Because here's the greatest challenge to you. We will not stand before the judgment seat. We stand before the Bema seat. And that's a different seat. And I'll tell you what the Bema seat's about. It's not what you did. It's what you didn't do. The Bema seat's about what you didn't do. Missed opportunities. Don't allow the devil to rob you of your opportunities. Please listen to me tonight. Don't allow Satan to rob you. He's robbing you tonight of your crowns. He's robbing you. And you don't even realize it. You ever heard the saying being robbed blind? Satan is robbing you blind. And you can be here tonight and thank God you're here tonight. And you can be here at the midweek meetings and you can be here at every meeting and you can put all the money in that you want. But here's the difference. The Lord has commanded us, go ye into the world and preach the gospel. And when God couldn't get a man to do the job, he goes to Deborah and he says, will you go to the captain of Israel and tell him to get up and go? Do you know why the Lord had to send Deborah? Because he couldn't hear from God himself. That's how far removed he had got. God had to go to a woman. Thank God for the women that are loyal to the Lord. Pastor McConnell always said the women were the most loyal. He says Whitewell was built and he would never name them. He actually said it when he ordained me. He says, I'll not name them for he says, I want the Lord to reward them for their faithfulness. They would get up every morning and go and pray and wait well. And they would seek the Lord and every week souls would be saved in that church. Because the Lord was in touch with a few wee old dolls. And I say that reverently. That's how the bishop called them. And he was in touch with them. And they were in touch with him. And child of God, do you see if you get an ear for the Lord? I said this last week in my own church. One of my favorite scenes is when the Lord says, one of you is going to betray me. See if you read this. They all ask the Lord, Lord, who is it? But Peter doesn't ask the Lord. Peter asks young John. And I remember the first time I read it and I seen it, it melted my heart. I'm one of these ones, if I read something that doesn't make sense, I study into it. Why? And the reason Peter asked John, the custom is when you would sit down to eat, you would sit with your, your legs around and the other person would sit into you. And young John was sitting beside Christ and John was lying with his head on the Lord's chest. John was in touch with the heart of God. And Peter says to John, John, who is it? See, when you get in touch with the heart of God, people start to see God in your life. People start to see someone who's in touch with God. Wouldn't it be lovely if CET 
was that church where men and women were so in touch with the heart of God that the nation would come and start to seek the Lord through us. And that's the way revival starts. That's the way revival starts. When a man and a woman gets in touch and hears the heart of God, nothing but a revival can happen from that. If we were to hear the heart of God tonight, I promise you this, a revival would ricochet through Guildford. It would make its way through the north and south of Ireland and right across. There's no ocean can stop it. That's why Satan stood in the sea. He was trying to stop the glorious gospel following the children of Israel across the ocean. But he couldn't stop it. And when the glorious gospel takes off under the power of revival through the anointing of God, nothing can stop it. And if one of you could believe tonight, I mean this, I genuinely am not just saying this, if someone in here tonight could catch that. My hero's D.L. Moody. And he was walking the streets of Dublin with the greatest heretic ever known, Darby. And old Darby turns around him. Thank God God can use the heretics. Old Darby says to Moody, he says, if God could use one man, touch the heart of one man, he could change the world. And Moody stood in that spot and says, Lord, let that be me. Moody won over a million people to Christ when there was no radio, television, nothing. Over a million people were won to Christ through Moody. Because he believed up and he allowed God to do it in his life. And I'm not, I really mean this. See if I only catch one person here tonight and one person only hears this, I'm happy. I am happy at that because I genuinely believe it only takes one man, one woman to hear God and to do something wonderful. And Deborah was that woman. And Deborah goes to Barak and she says to him, get up and go. The Lord's given you the victory. The Lord's going to give these 900 chariots into your hand. And here's I'm spilling water on up. Here's the big sissy he is. You know what he turns around and says? I'm not going unless you go with me. It's not unreal. See, when I read that, I cringe. I'm not going to go unless you go with me. But do you know what I realized? He knew God was with her. Stick close to those that you know God is with. And get close to those that you know God is with. And get involved with those that you know God is with. And you see those that God isn't with, get rid of them. They're dead weights. They'll hold you back. And they'll never support you in the things of God. And here's why. Because you'll prick their conscience. And see when you prick the conscience of a dead loss, they'll turn on you. So get rid of them. And surround yourself with like-minded people. Because the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. Allow yourself to get round people. Allow yourself to, to encourage one another and to support one another. And, and Deborah turns around and she says in verse 7, And the Lord says, I will draw unto thee the river of Kish in Syria, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak says unto her, if thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, I will not go. Here's the problem with that ideology. 
he lost his reward. Don't lose your reward. Don't lose your reward. And here's what I'm saying. He should have took the word of the Lord and said, okay, I'm going with that. But he didn't. He says, I will go with it, but you have to come with me. Who was it said partial obedience is disobedience? Who was it said that? I think it was C.T. Studd says partial obedience is disobedience. Be fully submersive to the Lord. Give him everything. I see what I'm saying, give him everything. Give him all your troubles. Give him all your woes. Give him all your situations. Give them over to him and say, Lord, here you are. Do you know, I always talk about the sacrifice of worship. Sacrifice of worship. People think sacrifice of worship is all about, you know, well, let's get up and worship for nine hours. And if you don't want to worship for nine hours, you're a bad Christian. That's a load of nonsense. Sacrifice of worship is worshiping when you can't and you don't want to. And if you've never been in that situation, it'll come to you eventually. I've seen times where I've had to stand as a pastor, and maybe Ken's not like this. Ken's a good Christian. I've seen me stand times that I haven't wanted to worship. Somebody's done something on the way up to the pulpit and they've said something, or just people love to pick their right times. And then you have to get up into that pulpit and you have to look like you're on fire. And you're up there and you're like, oh Lord, help me. And you have to worship. But I'll tell you one thing about the sacrifice of worship. You may have to start sacrificially. But you see, by the time you're finished, you see the sacrifice of God. And you really see Christ in his glory. Don't be afraid to do the sacrifice of worship. Don't be afraid to worship when you can't. Don't be afraid to do when you have no strength left. Keep on going. And here's the beautiful thing about this. Verse 9. She says, I will surely go with you. I love. See, Deborah. Deborah's underrated. She didn't have to think about it. She says, I'll go with you. But here's what she says. But there's a problem. For now, what's happened is your glory, your honor, the Lord's going to give it to a woman. Now, that might sound, actually, that's all right. Let me tell you something. Do you see in them days? That was a, the rabbis, when Christ, well, not the rabbis, the Pharisees, when Christ walked this earth, the Pharisees had a prayer. And their prayer was, thank God that I was not born a Gentile and thank God I was not born a woman. Women were very much disregarded. And the Lord turned around to Barak and says, I'm going to give you the victory, but the glory is going to be given to someone else and it's going to be a woman. There's no harm in a woman getting the glory, but never let anyone take your glory. Don't miss your opportunities with God. Don't miss your opportunity to let God use you. See, in the workplace, do you know the workplace is the hardest place to let God use you? It's the hardest place. I'm the first to admit that. You're amongst people that you know. You're with people that's maybe known you all your life. You're with people who knows you when you're hot and you're cold. Don't be afraid to take your stand for Christ in the workplace. Don't be afraid to tell them that you love the Lord. Now, it's not easy. 
I've done this the last time I was here. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to challenge you this week. Pray for the Lord to give you an opportunity this week. Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your estate, wherever it is. Pray that the Lord gives you an opportunity. Whatever, I'm not going to tell you what type of opportunity. Pray that the Lord gives you an opportunity. And pray that he gives you the ability for the opportunity. And I can guarantee you this. See if you do that, your toes will open and close when the Lord does it. Because it will blow your mind how God works. I genuinely mean that. I've seen me many times challenging the Lord. And I mean that reverently. The Lord knows my heart when I say that. I said, Lord, give me an opportunity. Give me the ability. And I'll tell you what, he'll give you an ability that will even impress yourself. Isn't it lovely when God uses you? Have you let God use you? Has it been a while from you have allowed God to use you? So what? Go to him tonight on your way home and say, Lord, I want a fresh start. Give me another opportunity. And Barak called Zabulon and Naphtali and Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went with him. Do you know what that tells me? One good woman's worth 10,000 men. (laughs) One good woman is worth 10,000 men. See, the Bible says one will stand against 1,000, two will stand against 10,000. Imagine what CET could do if you all stood together for this nation. You could win the UK for Christ. Do that, Mavs. One will win a thousand. Two will win ten thousand. What will three win? Is it twenty? Is anybody good at Mavs here? Well, here. Lord, teach them how to count. But just get the idea. And imagine if you all got together with a heart that really believed for the Lord to say, Lord, let's stand for this nation. Don't, don't be standing small, child of God. Stand big. Is CET prepared to believe that you can win this nation for Christ? Amen. If you just don't believe it, don't come here next week. I'm sorry about that, Ken. But here, <laughs> where there's no vision, the people perish. That's what the Bible says. Well, there's no vision. Ken says he's sitting at the front because he needs to pull me down tonight. <laughs> I see him about to get up. Well, there's no vision. The people perish. If you can't have a vision to believe that you can win this nation for Christ, you have lost the whole purpose of being a church. Yes, I believe in local assemblies. I believe in that with all my heart. But I tell you what I do believe. I believe in an assembly that can win the nation for Christ. And if you get together and start to really believe that you can win this nation for Christ, the sky's the limit. You can genuinely do this. See, I genuinely mean this with all my heart. I'm not just saying this tonight. See, if you can really believe in your heart of hearts, if you come together as a body of Christ, as an assembly of Christ, you'll win this nation. The first day that Peter got up and preached, and this is Peter who had only denied Christ. This is Peter who had only let the Lord down. This is Peter who even the very disciples would have been very disgruntled with. And in his first sermon, he won 3,000 people to the Lord. The 
next day, 5,000 people went to the Lord. Why? Because it says they were gathered together with one accord, united in the Holy Ghost. I know, but Tom, that was the day of Pentecost. Child of God, my God's the same yesterday, the same yesterday, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't allow yourself. Please, don't allow yourself to fall into that belief. And that I'm being careful, I'm wording this carefully. Because it really disappoints me and breaks my heart to see the way believers allow themselves to just fall into this whole thing. I will leave it up to the Lord. Do you realize you're the, the Lord's body? You're his hands. You're his feet. Yes, he's the head. But you're his representative on earth. And we have a duty to declare his glory. Now I'm going to close with us. There you go, you are safe. Don't you worry. You thought here, he's only got to verse 10. We're in trouble. So only Ken does that. And Sisera, verse 13, gathered to gather all his chariots, 900, and all the people with him. And he went down to the river of Kishon. He come with a show of strength, with his 900 chariots. He came, and he must have really thought that Barak was stupid, because he went into Mount Tabor, and the river Kishon, and there's the big, massive plain. Still to this day, the loveliest big flat plain. He must have thought to himself, how stupid can these people be? They've took me to the absolute ultimate place for a showdown in my chariots. I would actually say they were having a few wee races before they got going. They were that pleased. It was almost like they got themselves into this place. It was the dream spot for these chariots. And they were all they couldn't wait to get down to the river Kishon to, to have a race in these chariots. And he come and he lined them up. The show of strength. See, Satan, he always loves to remind you of your failures. And he always loves to show you how great he is. He always loves to put on a show of strength. I would say, I'm, and, and I wasn't there, and there's no record of it. Thank God I wasn't there. What do you do with that? Make me three and a half thousand years old. But Satan must have thought to himself, how stupid can you be? And Cicero lines up his chariots, the show of strength. And you know what I love? Verse 14, Deborah steps up again. Even when this man has a promise from God, Deborah has to step up and say, Brack, get up. For goodness sake, will you get up and get going? For this day is what the Lord have delivered Caesarea into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Brack went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men. Here was the challenge. Get up and get going. When are you going to get up and when are you going to get going? What are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? 
Why are you waiting for an opportunity when the Lord's give you the opportunity all right? Bill Wilson always says the need is the call. See if you see the need, that's the call. Can I tell you something? I'm going to say this respectfully. The Lord's not going to knock on your bedroom door the night and say, here, can I have a wee word with you? If you're waiting for that, you're in real trouble. And you're spiritually in trouble too. But if you see the need, that's the call. And if you're turning a blind eye to the need, can I tell you something? I'm going to do dabber on you tonight. Get up and go and sort it out. And don't be lagging on it. And don't be waiting for someone else to do it. And Dabra says to him, get up and go and do it now. Thank God for Dabra. And he does it. Imagine being the captain of Israel and the woman tells him and all the soldiers all going, do you see your man there? And she went and led them down. Now here's where it all changes. And Napoleon done the same to the Turks in 1799. See if Napoleon had read the Bible or the Turks had read the Bible, they would have saved themselves a lot of trouble. Because whenever they came down out of the mountain, here's what happened. Barak comes down out of Tabor Mountain. Sisera is sitting on the river uh, Kishon. He sees him coming down and he gets the chariots and starts to race across them. But what he didn't take into account was the river had flooded and turned the plains into mud. And when he started to race across the plains, all the chariots got stuck in the mud. Isn't it lovely that God can use everyday things and the Lord can use things that are normal to do things that are wonderful? Is there normal people here tonight? God can use you, but here's what you have to do. You have to step out. And the Lord had to send Deborah to say, will you tell him to step out for me and go and possess what I've given him? And they went down and all of a sudden... Sisera, who had the upper hand with his 900 chariots, it tells you that he abandoned his chariot and started to run. And he didn't run towards. He ran away. And when he started to run away, they all started to run away. And the children of Israel came upon them. Now here's the interesting thing, and I'm closing with this. Sisera got away. Now if you read uh, verse 11, it tells you about a man called Heber. And he was a Canaanite. The Canaanites were associated the sentence of Moses. And he's seen that Sisera was on the winning side at this time with his chariots. So he decided to side with the winning side. So he went to him. It was him that, you ever heard loose lips sink ships? He was the tout that told him, the children of Israel up in the mountain of Tabor. So Sisera thinks to himself, do you know what? I've got an ally. And uh, he goes to this man and his wife, her name's Jael, comes out. Jael says, come into my tent and I'll hide you and I'll protect you. <laughs> Never trust a woman, boys. And she goes, and her name actually means mountain goat. Do you know what she done? She went and put a blanket around him and she went and got warm goat's milk and give him warm goat's milk and put the blanket around him, and he was drinking the warm goat's milk. Do you know what happens to you if you get a blanket put around you and you start to drink warm milk? You start to go to sleep. And Heber, he's all happy that his wife's looking after this man, you know, the leader of the, the champions. And she's pouring the milk into him and putting more blankets around him. But see, the women, 
they pitched the tents. So he falls asleep. And here's another disclaimer. I'm not telling anybody to do this. She goes out and she gets one of the pegs. And she gets the hammer. An old brack, he, he's a Cicero, he's lying there sleeping, thinking he's got away with it. And she takes the peg and she takes the hammer and she delivers a blow. And the prophecy of Deborah where she says, the Lord will give the honor into a woman's hands. The prophecy that was declared by Deborah came when Jael took and drove the hammer and the peg into his temple. And once again, with a disclaimer, nobody's to do that. But he was dead, in case you didn't realize he died from that. Now, here's the thing about this. Notice what she used. What did she use? She used her everyday tools. She used what God had given her. And Christian, see in closing, you don't have to have fancy theology degrees and you don't have to have all the, 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 the devices at your hand. All you need is a heart for God. Ask God to give you a heart for him. Ask the Lord to give you a heart to serve him. Ask the Lord to give you the ability to serve him. But here's the interesting thing. And listen to this in closing. Let me get a drink. I know one minute. And behold, as Barak pursued, verse 22, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came into her, into the tent, behold, Caesarea lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. And God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. Through the actions of one woman, she subdued a nation. And that's what I'm trying to say to you tonight. It only takes a man, it only takes a woman to seek to do the will of God in this land, in this nation. And I'm pleading, I'm genuinely meaning this, I'm pleading to anyone listening tonight. I honestly believe with all my heart that the Lord is looking for men and women. I believe it with all my heart. I believe the Lord's putting out a call I don't believe there's an age restriction. I believe the Lord's looking for a man or a woman who will listen. And my appeal tonight is will you listen for the Lord? Listen for his call. Listen for his desire. Listen for him to call on to you. Will you respond to him tonight? Will you allow him to use you tonight? Here's a church with young people way out there tonight. And thank God for them young people and thank God for them workers. You know, Ken, I was thinking whenever you were saying about all that was going on about the food bank and all, that's the way Whitewell was. Whitewell was one of them churches that had ministry after ministry after ministry. And what it was about was about people getting involved. And that's where the church is lacking today. I guarantee you there's a man, if you want him and says, I want to do something for the Lord, he'll find something for you to do. I'm going to close with this. I love Jack Coe. Anybody ever heard of Jack Coe? Jack Coe was an absolute 
outcast. Jack Coe had a strange voice. He loved KFC. He was just everything that a pastor did not want to use. And he went to the pastor and he says to the pastor, he says, I want to do something for the Lord. The pastor turns around to him and says, I'll tell you what to do. You clean the toilets. Jack Coe cleaned the toilets for two years. They didn't even know he was cleaning the toilets. And for two years he cleaned the toilets. And he went to the pastor and he says, Pastor, I've been cleaning the toilets for two years. I want to do something else for the Lord. And the pastor says, I'll tell you what then. To get him out of his hair, we'll give you a Sunday school class. Jack Coe grew the Sunday school class bigger in the church. 2,000 children. And Jack Coe started to go out. And he started to preach. And he started to, miracles started to happen. People started to be healed. Crusades, people being saved. And Jack Coe went out to get his tent. And he says, what size of a tent do you want? And Oral Roberts had the biggest tent at that time. He says, what size is Oral Roberts? And the told him the size. He says, make mine a foot bigger each way. Just what he could say, he had the bigger tent than Oral Roberts. Jack Coe, if he came to your town with the, the tent, the hospitals would all have a meeting. And they would all sit down. And they would say, right, we'll go on a Monday night. Give us the ambulances from Craig Avon, Lisburn, the Mater, and we'll all take ours on a Monday night. And then on a Tuesday night, we'll bring you our ambulance. And that's what they had to do. And they would go, and they would bring the sick and the dying to Jack Coe's meetings. Jack Coe would stand and minister to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, praying for the sick. And then he would be that hungry, he would, they would say, Jack, you need to stop, you're going to kill yourself. And on the way home, he had stop at KFC and get the chicken. Jack Coe died a young man because he burnt himself out. But Jack Coe proved one thing, that God can use anybody. And I mean that. A.A. Allen, I don't know if you know A.A. Allen died an alcoholic. I believe he's in glory, by the way, and I'll tell you why. A. Allen's mother, his dad was a bootlegger and his mum gave him potching when he was a baby to make him sleep at night. And A. Allen burnt himself out that much preaching. He, he got real bad back pain. And what did he do? he done what he knew as a child. He drank potching. I'll tell you one thing. See if you read what A. Allen, he done creative miracles where limbs actually grew in front of people. God still used him with his faults. God can use you. That's up to the Lord what he does about that. Alan's not my problem. That's between him and the Lord. But why I'm saying all this tonight is there are a bunch of normal people and God uses normal everyday people. Is there someone here tonight and you'll respond to the call? Will you respond to that call of get up and go? I'm not telling you to go tonight to Africa. I'm not telling you to go to the, 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 the jungles and the Cameroons. I'm telling you to respond to the call of the Lord tonight and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. See, if you did that, imagine what would happen in this, this area. May God bless you and may God increase this word and may it find a resting place. And I genuinely mean that. May this word find a resting place 
in someone's heart tonight. And may God bless you.